Hey, welcome to Urban Planning is Not Boring. I'm Sam. And I'm Nat. Hello. Hi. It's just <laughs> us. Oh my gosh. Today, Sam and I are finally coming to you guys with an episode. No guests, just me <laughs> and Sam. We love having guests, but it's good to just have the two yes. of us so we can talk about life and dive into more specific topics, not just other organizations, but talk exactly. about things that are going on. Yeah. So Sam and I kind of want to kick it off and give you guys some updates because it has been now a little while since we graduated. Mm -hmm. So I want to talk about kind of graduation. We both moved recently. We're living in new places and we kind of want to talk about, you know, just what we're doing and how everything's going. So Sam, how are you feeling after graduation? (laughs) Well, graduation was good like it was fun we sat next to each other we sat in the second row so we had a great view of everyone graduating um and then it was honestly so hectic after that because I was moving out of my apartment in LA and then I went on a little vacay with my mom and my sister for a week and then came right back to LA and finished moving. So it was just like a lot really fast. And I moved back in with my parents, which has been, at first I was definitely like, what am I doing with my life? Like I'm 24, I'm living with my parents. Like it kind of felt like a step backwards, but I just really think that this is what I need right now. Like I want to save money. Like I feel like I kind of need to slow down a little bit. And so it's been really nice to like be back with my family and kind of be back in a place where I'm like super familiar yeah. with everything. Um, and I know once I start my, cause I'm, I live in the South a little bit south of San Francisco in the Bay Area. So once I start my job and I have like routine, I know like it'll get easier. But right now I feel like I'm just in limbo because I'm literally not doing anything. And I'm just like floating through life with no plans. But it's actually been really nice. Like I've been able to sleep in and like work out and do everything without like any stress. So that's been really nice. Yep. That's so exciting. Although I miss you so much over here, I know. Um, but I know you'll come visit and I'll, I'll go out to the Bay Area and come see you. But thank God for Zoom so that we can keep this this podcast going, keep it alive. Um, and fun, fun fact, I actually ended up moving into Sam's old apartment, her exact unit. So anytime me and Sam are on the phone... <laughs> She's never too far away from her yeah. old home. In <laughs> um, so I also recently moved. I moved out of my parents' house into Los Angeles, um, which was a requirement for me and my job. Um, and also just something that I really wanted to do anyways. I didn't want to continue living an hour and a half away from, from work. Um, 
And so this has been a difficult adjustment, definitely like leaving behind all my friends and family. And although everybody keeps telling me like, oh, they're only like an hour away, it's very different from being five minutes away or like just me walking downstairs to see my mom. (laughs) So yeah, it's definitely been an adjustment, but it's really exciting. And I just started my new job last week, um, which is also really awesome. So I am in now the private real estate development um, sector, which is very different from planning in many aspects. Um, But my planning background has definitely been helping me with this new job. And it's just really exciting stuff that I'm working on. So... Yeah, good times, but I I am up at like six o'clock every morning, which is definitely new. <laughs> Why? Um, just because making sure that like I'm walking Milo, mm-hmm. having breakfast, having coffee, like getting all of my pre-work stuff done, and then I start work. So I'm just up extra early because it takes me a while to get all that done. Like mainly just walking Milo takes a while because we're yeah walking for for a little bit in the mornings Um, but it's been really nice like I love this neighborhood so much Mm -hmm. it's just so many great places to like walk around and see and just I don't know it's so different because I'm used to like the suburbs the suburbs (laughs) this is so different I feel like where where you are though it's like a nice mix of like it's kind of like suburby feeling because it's a lot of not that this is good, but it's a lot of single family homes. Yes. It is what it is. So it kind of is suburby feeling, but you have like so like Venice is like right there and like exactly. Venice Boulevard and like Culver City and like all these, you know, like downtown Culver and like all these yeah. nice places to go that are really close. Exactly. Now That's the one mix. the one challenge that I've been having, this is like the only thing, is the gym situation. Yeah. I the gyms like just I hate them and then all the the ones that I like are so expensive yeah and I'm just like okay what like what am I supposed to do but I guess it's just gonna end up being like biting the bullet and just going and getting a a nice gym membership because I went to this um I went to this one gym I don't want to give like too many details about like where I'm at, but I went to this one gym and I I got in there and it was so tiny. Number one, it had very little equipment. And then there was just one man who was running around the gym, like doing laps. Oh, Oh. he has like a bright red beard. Oh no. No. Okay. So he was like running around the gym and like pumping himself up. And I'm like, that's awesome. Like, good for you, you know, like getting pumped. But then he started like throwing his phone on the floor and it kept like coming over to me. And I was like, sir, like this is a shared space. So let's like tone it down. Third space. Let me be. Yeah. So I don't know. I'm just looking for something a little bit more chill. Yeah. But it's understandable. I'll figure it out eventually. So anyways, let's jump into today's episode. (laughs) I have been talking about doing this episode for maybe the last two months. 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 Yeah. 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 And um, we 
basically, I think what kind of became the catalyst for us wanting to talk about this was our discussion with Angela Brooks, because right now there's just this big, big conversation surrounding housing in all spaces, but especially in Los Angeles, um, especially in the state of California in general. And, you know, we really want to talk about kind of this theory about filtering and there is a lot of evidence that goes to back the theory of filtering, but there are some people who do still disagree that it actually is a real thing or that it actually is beneficial. But Sam and I did kind of want to talk about it, just kind of the concept and, and, um, how it could be, uh, have potential positive impacts on, um, our current housing shortage. And so we're just going to dive right in and I'm going to let Sam take it away. Yeah. So we just want to give a little bit of context first. Obviously, we've talked a ton about how the state of California is in a severe housing shortage and how we have not been keeping up with our RENA target, which uh, just for refresh arena is the regional housing needs assessment. And it allocates different cities um, with a certain amount of housing units that they're supposed to plan for in each cycle. And since we haven't been keeping up with our arena targets, we have experienced really high rents and really high housing prices across the state. Um, And this concept of affordability challenges that we are facing is really simple supply and demand. Although I am not an expert on this, this is Natalie's area of expertise, but I have learned at least this basic bit of housing. Um, We have a high demand for housing, a limited supply, and this is causing prices for housing to increase across the board. And concerns for affordability are not just impacting low-income households anymore. So we really want to dive into some solutions that are being addressed when discussing the development of more housing. So often we talk about how important it is that we get affordable housing built And while it is important, we sometimes become narrow-minded in our approach to addressing the housing development challenges. While it is important to get more affordable housing built, today we want to talk about the concept of filtering and how the development of housing at all tiers can be a promising solution. So now Natalie is going to talk about what filtering is because I told Natalie that I'm not super comfortable with this topic. I don't really know much about it. So Natalie is going to be the expert today. (laughs) <laughs> the baby expert. Yeah. So <laughs> my very first class that I ever took at USC was a housing development course. And this was a big concept that my professor discussed a lot, uh, Dr. Dal Myers, who I have very high respect for and I really love. Um, and so he kind of brought forward this concept of filtering. I thought it was very interesting. I did a lot of research on it and it does seem like you know, there are some promising aspects of this theory when we do talk about the fact that housing supply and demand, you know, there are strategies in which we can kind of address supply um, for housing by not just, you know, because often the conversation that we hear so frequently, and especially in the city of Los Angeles with our new mayor, Karen Bass, you know, the big thing is, okay, we need affordable housing, affordable housing. We want tiny homes. We want, you know, um, uh, 
what is it? Permanent supportive housing. And while all of this is absolutely essential, we have a very big homeless crisis going on right now in the city. And I totally understand. And I see where her head's at. I do think sometimes, especially politically, we get kind of bogged down in this like, okay, the focus has to be affordable housing. And then we have a lot of proponents who come and they say, okay, well, why is this project not hundred percent affordable? Why are there market rate units, et cetera, et cetera. So I wanted to talk about the concept of filtering because it does kind of get us to understand why we need housing at all income levels in order to address the problems that we're facing today with with our shortage. And so in a piece that was written through the Brookings Institution, there is a man by the name of Thomas Beer who kind of explains filtering like this. He says, as old structures age, they generally will deteriorate, become obsolete, fall out of fashion, and then filter down in value. And so this is kind of also what Jane Jacobs had in mind when she was talking about how new ideas need old buildings. And so when we set everything else equal, rent is always going to be cheaper or typically is going to be cheaper in an old building than in a state-of-the-art new one. And we can see this anywhere. Jump on Zillow, look at an older apartment complex, look at a newer one, you're going to see that the rents are, are drastically different. And so as long as new buildings are being being regularly built, some share of older buildings are going to essentially filter down the market and become affordable for families with lower incomes. And so this is uh, in an article written by the Brookings Institution. We'll we'll link it for you guys to to kind of uh, look into. And so when we're talking about how this addresses affordability, the theory behind filtering is that building more market rate housing is eventually going to lead to more folks moving from older buildings into more worn down units or from, I'm sorry, from older, like kind of more worn down units into newly developed units, which then opens up those older units at a lower price for folks who are looking for more affordable housing. And so this is like a really, really, you know, in theory, a uh, an interesting concept because you do begin to think that as newer developed buildings are coming onto the market, people are moving from their units into those newer units. However, like my concept, sorry, I don't know. My email just went off. I hope you didn't hear that. Um, But if we're we're kind of thinking about, you know, right now, because we have such a significant shortage of housing and such a high demand, I am a bit curious as to whether or not someone in an older unit would move into a newly developed unit, or if that unit's going to get snatched up by somebody who's maybe living with their parents and, you know, moving out of their home into a new unit. So it's, it's very interesting to kind of think through this theory, but And I would say that kind of a challenge with this theory in the state of California is that we're also not producing enough housing at any income level in general. And so in order for the theory of the concept of filtering to even work, it's saying that there needs to be a regular production of housing at at specific income levels or, or at certain market tiers. And so therefore, we're not really able to truly realize the impacts of filtering in the state here if there really are any. And so... 
I will say that that's just something to keep in mind. But there are a plethora of recent studies that have come out that have indicated that filtering does occur and that it can actually have some very positive impacts. And so I want Sam to kind of jump into discussing what those positive impacts are and how they're kind of being realized in other places in which this research has been done. Okay, so yeah, there has been a lot of research, as Natalie said, about some of the positive impacts of filtering. And honestly, filtering, like just as a side note, to me, like totally makes sense because like I've mentioned, I've moved back in with my parents. And so when I do move out again, and I've been kind of like just looking at different apartments like in the city, like in San Francisco and just like locally, it's so expensive and I'm like, how am I even going to afford this? Even if I live at home for a little bit, save my, like, it's just, it is crazy. So I feel like, yeah, like if, like if we are filtering and having more housing at every income level than someone like young, just out of school can afford, like actually afford like a studio or even a one bedroom or a two bedroom with roommates, like it is crazy right now. So, and I know it's like a big city and everyone wants to live in a big city, but still it should be affordable to someone who has like a full-time job and a, I mean, a graduate degree, full-time job. And it's still like crazy, crazy. Um, But recent research by the city observatory shows that displacement rates are lower in neighborhoods that increase housing supply and therefore reduce competition for available housing units, which totally makes sense. Like when you are increasing the supply across the board and you have, you know, everything from more luxury units to more affordable units, then people can kind of fall into these brackets of affordability that best fit their lifestyle, best fit, best fit their jobs and best fit their situations. And so then you're not having someone who could afford more moving into a lower, a lower price unit just because that's what's available. So I feel like in my head, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, and then another a study by the economist Evan Mass used an innovative approach to measure filtering impacts and tracked the previous residences of the occupants of 802 new multifamily developments in 12 North American cities and the previous residences of the households that replaced them through six cycles. It found that building market price apartments caused a kind of housing musical chairs as households move into new units. This analysis indicates that for every 100 new market rate units built, approximately 65 units are freed up in existing buildings, accommodating up to 48 moderate and low income families. So while filtering has been shown to have positive impacts, it has been emphasized that subsidies are often needed to deliver enough lower priced housing to avoid lower income housing displacement, which I feel like we're already seeing subsidies yeah. being used for this. So that's not totally a surprise that comes out of that. Yeah, absolutely. Subsidies are definitely used in tandem with with development. Um, I, I will say again, like in the state of California, it becomes tricky because we just really are not, we're just not... At, at any in any way building enough housing at any income level and that's been kind of our greatest challenge so when we do talk about filtering like a lot of these studies 
are happening in, you know, in areas in which development is is keeping up with demand. Um, and although even in the United States, that's becoming a, a more prominent challenge um, just kind of across the board. And so, you know, this theory is really beneficial, though, when we're talking about housing, because we really can sometimes and like we said in the beginning, we can get really bogged down in the you know, demand for the development of 100% affordable housing. And it's important. I, I will say, I'm not saying in any way that we need to, you know, knock this promotion of affordable development, but there are also drawbacks with affordable development, specifically when I say 100% affordable housing development. So number one, there are often folks who will say that 100% affordable housing development can be viewed as segregated housing. And it can also be viewed in the sense that you're kind of isolating poverty or there's poverty concentration with 100% affordable housing development. And I want to say that specifically when I'm talking about not permanent supportive housing, not housing for the formerly homeless or not housing for like folks with special needs, like senior housing, et cetera. But I'm specifically talking about just standard affordable housing where we're, we're talking about, you know, between 30% AMI to, I mean, it can go up to a hundred, but typically it's 30% to 80% AMI levels. That kind of affordable housing can often be looked at as a concentration of poverty because you really are not allowing for mixed income households to then be able to, you know, form community with folks who are in more affordable units. And, and I do think there are definitely like knowledge share, idea sharing, lifestyle, you know, there are many, many benefits to having mixed income um, housing developments in terms of interaction and all of these different things. And we talked about that at USC a lot. Um, and there was actually this one person who I spoke with um, who built these like bungalow communities where he had like some of his tenants were architects and lawyers. And then some of his tenants were, you know, um, were low income households uh, with families and that interaction between those folks like generated a lot of really positive impacts. And so that's why sometimes people can say that hundred percent affordable housing developments are not always beneficial and our promotion of those, you know, it may not bring the best results for folks who are living in those communities. And so um, just something to highlight. And then in addition, there are also numerous studies that have emphasized that not only do we need more affordable housing, but we also need more housing at all income levels. And Sam and I have talked about this. Sam just mentioned, even for herself, as somebody who just graduated with a master's degree, who has a full-time job, it is still very, very difficult for her to acquire housing in the city in which she is from and the city in which she lives in and works in. And that's really a big challenge. And then this is where the kind of challenges come forward because folks are saying, okay, well, the most realistic concept would be for me to live where I work. However, because it's so expensive, then people tend to move outside of the cities in which they work. And then this is how we're getting suburban sprawl, urban sprawl, and all of those challenges as well. That leads to increased VMT. And then we kind of jump into the whole concept of what urban planning really is because everything is intersectional and it gets really, really challenging. And so 
you know, affordability needs to come for all folks of all income levels in all market tiers. And so that's just one other thing to, to be mindful of. And then we also can understand that the development of housing in general does make units available to meet demand. So as demand decreases, prices will follow, making all housing more affordable in general. So if we were only building affordable housing across the board, we're only fulfilling the demand of a very specific group, especially because you need to qualify for affordable housing. So if we were only building affordable housing, then we are not meeting the demand of other folks that need market rate units. And if we're not doing that, then prices are going to continue to rise. So Basically, the whole point of us talking about this today was to emphasize the fact that, of course, we need more affordable housing development and specifically for populations with special needs, including our homeless uh, population, senior housing, etc. But we also need to focus on supply across the board. And that's essential when we're discussing how we are going to actually address the housing and affordability challenges that we are facing, you know, both in the state and the country. And so that's kind of our short little rundown on the concept of filtering and kind of why Sam and I wanted to talk about it in the sense that when we were speaking with Angela Brooks, she brought up just such a, an amazing point. And I really appreciate that she talked about this. She even said, we can't just be building affordable housing. We need to focus uh, on housing at all income levels. And the fact that APA is emphasizing that I think is extremely important. And I, I just, number one, have so much respect for her, but also for the organization and the position that they're taking on that, I think is really great. Yeah, 100%. And I do think that like, being from the Bay Area, like obviously everyone talks about like, oh, Silicon Valley, San Francisco, like so expensive and like people will move you know, to like Gilroy or like Sacramento or these places that are so far away. And then they have like an hour, two hour commute to work. And it really does, you know, we have this whole movement in the sense of like transit oriented development and like increasing density in cities. And, you know, me living in the suburbs of, you know, south of of San Francisco, I'm still going to have a commute, but at least like I can use like the rail lines that are here, but for a lot of people where that isn't accessible and it's not realistic to take the train because it doesn't come to you or whatever, like it is such a big problem. And I feel like in like, especially in the Bay area, we're having this issue of no one can afford San Francisco, but a lot of jobs are in San Francisco. Um, and, and then it's, it just leads to really long commute. And then it goes against like the safe California's goals of like reducing BMT and reducing greenhouse gas emissions. And obviously hybrid work is having, or remote work is having some impact on that, but it still is like big issue for a lot of people. So yep. um, yeah, I had Back when I was working at Metro, I had a coworker who was recently hired at Metro and she was in my department and I was talking to her and I asked her like, oh, um, you know, where do you live? And she was like, oh, I live in San Diego. And I looked at her and I was like, you live in San Diego? She was like, yes. And because, you know, their organizations now are offering hybrid work where you're only coming in one day a week, she was like, well, you know, that's really it's fine for me. Like I just take the train in, but again, like the fact that you live 
more than three hours away from your job is honestly insanity. Yeah. Like, and when I asked her, you know, is there a reason why you're staying in San Diego? She said, like, it's just the housing aspect. Like, and so that's definitely something that needs like that more people need to consider and understand. And then also, and this may be a very unpopular opinion, but, and no like shade to her at all, cause good for her for securing a job. But when you're not living in which the city that you're working, you're not paying their taxes. You're not paying into like, you're not shopping in their uh, districts. You're not basically, you are not contributing to the economy in which you're working and because you don't live there. And so that is something that like some people will say can be like a bit problematic is because you're making a salary of an area in which you don't live. And this is something that like a lot of people talk about where uh, this is like less so for San Diego versus LA because they're quite similar. But when people are talking about like new hybrid work coming on and folks are saying like, oh, I'll move out of state. And it's like, that's very interesting because it, you know, you're making the salary of a state like California, which is much higher than other states. And so you're taking away jobs from folks that are living here in the state of California. And that's just like another interesting like component. But again, like it's because like a lot of it often comes down to housing, like you can't afford to live here. And so that just becomes such a significant challenge. And it's definitely something that I know, like there's, it's a priority across the board, but I just think there's, there's more that can be done. And I do think that there are, you know, definitely challenges that can be addressed. Mm -hmm. And I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing how it's going to play out in the next, like, just even in this year, but in the next couple of years, because there's been a lot of new legislation that's come out regarding housing. And then we, now we have, uh, Karen Bass as our new mayor and she's been really, really, you know, big on the housing front. And so I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing what's to come. Yeah. Well, any closing thoughts? Closing thoughts. (laughs) I'm just so glad that we're back. (laughs) I know we're back. Um, Yeah. I'm very, it's very weird, like not having assignments due (laughs) for school. And I feel like it's just been this really weird kind of, I don't know why my email keeps going off. I silenced it, but sorry. Um, but we've been, you know, just kind of, I'm like kind of getting into this new rhythm of things, but it's also Mm -hmm. exciting because obviously we can dedicate more time to the podcast and coming up with some awesome ideas for what we want to talk about next. And, you know, housing is always a really big topic. And so Sam and I, I'm sure are going to have more, uh, more to discuss on this front. So I'm just looking forward to what the year has in store for us. The year, the year of starting in June. <laughs> yeah. Right. The, the next six months. The next, yeah. No, we'll be doing this for the next year, probably. Oh, absolutely. We have, we have too many fans. We're just <laughs> getting so popular. I want it. I want us to do this forever. <laughs> forever yeah. and ever and ever. Like we're going to be in our forties. We're going to be like, Hey guys. Hey guys. <laughs> Welcome back. <laughs> <laughs>
Thank you so much for listening. We really hope that you enjoyed this episode of Urban Planning is Not Boring. If you did, please remember to send us to your friends and follow us uh, wherever you get your podcasts. And remember, guys, urban planning is not boring. No, it is not. 